All right. Well, we are continuing our series uh, called By Faith, um, uh, Taking God-Inspired uh, Risk, or whatever I've called it, uh, something close to that. Uh, and, and today, I want to direct your attention to Hebrews uh, chapter 11. We're going to look there in a few minutes. You can hold your place at verses 24 uh, through 29. We're also going to look at a couple verses in Exodus, uh, but I will just read those uh, when we get to them. If you want to go ahead and turn to them, they're on your outline, and uh, so you can check those out there. I promise very soon that we will start showing uh, verses on the screen uh, for those of you who the dimmer lighting may make it difficult to see your Bibles. Uh, But uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Well, the word privilege is defined as a benefit enjoyed by a person beyond the advantages of most. Uh, a privileged person has advantages most people don't have. And, and you know, an easy example that we think of is uh, we speak of the privileges of the rich. You know, there are examples, quite a few examples out there of privilege actually negatively impacting people. Uh, You've probably seen these kind of stories. Sometimes uh, people who are born to privilege, it it has a way of undermining uh, the development of a good work ethic, and and it has a way of undermining uh, uh, just just good attitudes in general. And so they uh, sometimes will come up with an attitude of entitlement that really does negative stuff in their lives. I've read of a number of Uh, People who are uh, very well-off, very uh, wealthy, uh, who have actually denied their children the benefits of their wealth because they were so concerned uh, with how it may uh, corrupt them. And so they forced their children uh, to go out and make it uh, on their own. Those stories being out there, I would guess that given the choice most of us would still say, we'll risk it. We'll, 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 give, it, we'll give a stab at uh, uh, going with the, the privilege path. You know, we'd choose to have more money in order to give our kids the advantages that money provides. Uh, we would choose to be better connected in order to give our uh, kids the advantage that knowing powerful people um, offers us. Uh, if we could, I think that most of us would would opt for privilege for the benefit of our children. I mean, isn't this the reason that we often keep the crazy schedules that we keep? Isn't this the reason that we run from event to event, from this soccer game to that baseball game to this gymnastics meet to the band concert to the dance classes to the academic competition? We want to give our children whatever advantages in life we can possibly Uh, provide for them because in spite of those stories out there of it doing bad things in people's life, privilege does give us an advantage. You know, when it's time to start a business, it's nice to have a, a, a family member, a mom or dad who will give you the business loan. Float the loan for a while as the business gets off the ground or if it runs into a, a, a bumpy patch. It can be really advantageous to get your first mortgage from a parent rather than a bank. 
Parents tend to be a little more flexible sometimes. And, and, and when you lose the job, parents will, will maybe say, you know what, let's just take a break for four or six months on that mortgage. And privilege is nice when you get out of college with no student loans. Privilege is nice when your own efforts have produced no success. And yet your bank account looks as though you've been very successful. Privilege has its advantages. One of the great things about our nation has been that historically you have not had to come from privilege in order to be successful, which is quite different from how most of the world throughout most of human history has worked. As true as that is, privilege does still provide advantage. And most of us, I think, would choose it if it was as simple as making a choice. As we continue our series on taking God-inspired risk, we come today to one of the most famous people in the Bible, Moses. Through a fascinating set of circumstances, Moses grew from a young child into adulthood with incredible privilege. Unbelievable privilege. He was born to Hebrew parents while God's people were enslaved in Egypt. Now, we talked about Joseph last week and, and how uh, the, the children of um, uh, Jacob uh, came down to Egypt uh, during a time of famine when Joseph was the second in command in all of Egypt. And so that was a blessing to the people of God. But then Joseph died. And the Bible tells us that a king rose to power in Egypt that did not know Joseph. And so God's people became slaves to the Egyptians. And and Moses was born at a time when the Egyptian king had ordered that all the Hebrew boys were to be thrown into the Nile River uh, if a family uh, had a male child. He had done this because the people of God had become so numerous that the Egyptians were becoming fearful of them. And so the king decided that one of the ways to, to keep them from being such a threat is to kill all the newborn uh, males. And so Moses was born to Hebrew parents and his parents defied the king and hid Moses in a basket on the river. If you uh, grew up in church at all and went to a Sunday school class, you, you have definitely heard the story of Moses in the basket. He was found by Pharaoh's daughter who was smitten with him. And, and Exodus 2.10 tells us that uh, Moses became her son. Born to Hebrew parents, but he became and he was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Those words, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, let us know that Moses grew up with incredible privilege. He was a member of the social elite of Egypt. He was a part of a household with legendary wealth. He was part of the most powerful family in all of Egypt. You don't get more connected than that. You don't get more privileged than the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It just doesn't get any better than that when it comes to privilege, when it comes to advantage. But Moses knew that not only was he the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he was also the son of Hebrew slaves. 
And, and as he grew into adulthood, he, he began to witness things. He, he began to notice how the Hebrew people were mistreated by the Egyptians. He saw the forced labor that was put on them. He saw how severely and harshly the Egyptians dealt with them. And one day he, he was going about his business and he, he saw an Egyptian beating one of the Hebrews. I have little doubt that Moses witnessed this after years of seeing this kind of thing happen and, and going from a process from initially noticing it to then being concerned about it and then reaching a place where he became offended by it. I think there was probably a long period of tension for Moses that led up to this moment. Tension between his two identities, son of Pharaoh's daughter on the one hand, son of Hebrew slaves on the other hand. And I think it's probably in that context of this perhaps years-long tension that Moses came and saw the Egyptian beating the Hebrew and responded in the way that he did. Exodus 2 tells us that Moses was so moved by the injustice he witnessed that he killed the Egyptian. The years of tension had brought him to the place of a choice. And his choice was this. I can't continue to tolerate what the Egyptians are doing to my people. And so he chose to defend. Pharaoh heard what he had done. Pharaoh was very angry and he tried to kill him. And so Moses fled to a land called Midian. And this leads us to our text today, Hebrews eleven twenty four through 29. I also referenced in your outline Exodus 2 through 14. Uh, because that is the, the place in the Bible where this story of Moses and the events that we're going to talk about today uh, are, are recorded for us. And I would encourage you to perhaps read that this week. Uh, but our primary text is in Hebrews, and here's what it says. By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead for his reward. By faith, he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry ground. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. The very first verse we read, verse 24, very succinctly makes the point that Moses chose to reject privilege. This is the main emphasis of the message today, and it, and it provides us with our title, By Faith, Moses Rejects Privilege. Verse 24 tells us that by faith, when Moses had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You can just read that, by faith, Moses rejected privilege. Imagine being raised in the court of Pharaoh. Think of all of the advantages that, that Moses had. 
He he had the advantages of a world-class education in science and architecture and military tactics, mathematics and government. He had the advantage of social status, the advantages of the great luxury uh, that he lived within. During his formative years, Lewis Evans says of Moses, he had drunk of the sophistication and power of the Egyptian empire. And yet, as this tension built between his two identities, son of Pharaoh's daughter and son of Hebrew slaves, he comes to the point of decision and opts to reject the privileges of Egypt. He rejected the social status of being the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 24 of our text says he chose to be mistreated rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin. For the son of Pharaoh's daughter, I'm quite confident there were no limits to the opportunities for the pleasures of sin. He rejected all the pleasures that Egypt offered a member of Pharaoh's house. Verse 26 lets us know that he regarded disgrace for Christ to be of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. So he rejected the social status, he rejected pleasures, and he rejected the treasures of Egypt. He rejected the wealth that was attached to being the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Because of who he really was, the son of Hebrew slaves, he rejected the life of privilege that he had known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 26 tells us that he did this because he was looking ahead to his reward. For Moses and for all of the heroes that we've uh, talked about and we will talk about in Hebrews 11, the reward they were living for really comes down to this. The approval of God in eternity. That's really what they were living for. The approval of God in eternity. William MacDonald says of Moses looking ahead to his reward, quote, He knew that these were the things that would count one minute after he died. Social status, pleasures, wealth. Moses came to understand that these things were of no real value. And so he chose to to endure mistreatment, to endure disgrace, to live a life filled with danger and uncertainty, he chose to look ahead for his reward rather than to try to find reward now. He, He was more concerned with reward in the life to come than he was with privilege in this life. Do you realize that in much of Christianity today, this viewpoint, which is the dominant viewpoint of those who followed God in the Bible, has been almost entirely reversed? Almost entirely reversed. A number of very prominent Christians are celebrated for passing off as archaic the notion that living for the future... Living for heaven is a good idea. They very derisively refer to it as 
living for the sweet by and by. They say it's archaic. They teach that focusing on heaven and hell are mere distractions to the work that God desires us to do on earth. They say things like this. The hell that we should really be concerned about is the hell people are living on earth. We're told by TV preachers that God's will is always a life of ease and comfort for the king's kids. Life now. And yet the Bible is quite clear that the hell we should be the most concerned about is not hell on earth, but the hell of eternity. The Bible is very clear about that. And the Bible over and over again commends as wise, commends as choosing well, those who are willing to endure difficulty for the sake of God and his people now and are content to look ahead, to look to the future for a time of reward, for the time when ease and comfort will be attained. For the sake of God and his people, Moses rejected privilege, embraced mistreatment and disgrace, and he did it because he was looking ahead. This series that we're in right now is about taking God-ordained risks. And what Moses was doing here in the rejection of privilege was full of risk, incredible risk. Pharaoh tried to kill him. Status and wealth were lost, but for God and his people, Moses was willing to do it. So what about us? Are we willing to have this kind of faith? Are we willing for God? Are we willing for God's people to reject the comforts and conveniences of our own lives? Are we willing for God and God's people to say no to pleasure, to say no to treasure, to say no to peer pressure? Are we for God and his people willing to live for a future reward rather than for present comfort? So after Moses had wrestled with his identity and chosen to defend the Hebrew who was being beaten, Pharaoh finds out and tries to kill him. And so Moses flees to a land called Midian. Now, a lot happens to Moses in Midian, uh, including this, that in Midian, God called him to a very specific and a very bold assignment. And we, we find this recorded in Exodus 3, uh, verses 7 through 10. And here's what they say. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. So God's seen all this, and so he says to Moses, I've seen it all. I'm going to do something about it. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now remember that Moses is in Midian 
uh, in large part because he was so troubled by the treatment of God's people in Egypt. And he was so troubled that he had gotten himself in trouble. And so God comes to him and says that, that God too is troubled by what he's seeing. And that God is going to act on their behalf. That he's going to rescue them. And here's the assignment. That Moses is to go back to Egypt where he fled in fear. Go back to Egypt and lead the Israelites out of slavery and into this promised land. Now this is a uh, fascinating story. Lots of detail that we just can't cover here today. I would encourage you to read it. But Moses, who had fled Egypt because his life was in danger, is now told by God, go back and lead the people to freedom. More risk. Can you imagine much more risk than that? I mean, we're on a series about taking God-ordained risk. Here is a boatload of risk. Verse 27 of Hebrews says that Moses left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. Now, there's debate on this verse. You know, some people wrestle with this and, and aren't sure what it's referring to. Is it referring to his first leaving of Egypt or his later leaving of Egypt with the children of Israel? I think it's pretty clear it's referring to his later leaving of Egypt with the children of Israel because it seems quite clear to me that with Pharaoh trying to kill him and him fleeing, he left the first time somewhat fearful. So I, I believe it's the second one. More risk. Go back to that place you fled in fear. And don't just go back quietly. But go back and tell the supreme leader of the whole place that you plan to take all of his slaves and leave. Think about that assignment. That is a tall order. God's given the assignment. To fulfill it, Moses has to accept risk. It was not enough to simply reject the privilege of Egypt. That was a big sacrifice Moses made. That, that was a big deal, but that wasn't enough. He has to now confront his fear. He has to overcome his fear. And he has to return to the place of his fear and take an uncompromising stand, make an uncompromising demand. And we know that he was able to do that. And God empowered him to leave Egypt the second time with the children of Israel following him without fear of Pharaoh. He faced the risk. He defied Pharaoh. He did so without fear. So Moses has rejected privilege. Moses has overcome fear. And now I want us to look at one of the most famous stories of the, whole, uh, of the Old Testament. A lot happens between Moses' call and, and this event. Uh, Moses does return to Egypt. He does demand of Pharaoh that he let the people go. Uh, many of you will know the story. Pharaoh initially refuses. Uh, actually, he refuses over and over again. And as a result of his uh, refusals, God sends a series of ten plagues on Egypt, increasingly awful plagues. After the final one, Pharaoh finally relents and says, Okay, okay, I give. You can take the Israelites and leave. 
But then after they leave, he changes his mind once again, gets his army together and pursues the Israelites to try to enslave them again. And so as Moses is leading the people out of Egypt, Pharaoh's army is in hot pursuit. And Exodus tells us that as the people were near the Red Sea, they looked up and they saw Pharaoh's army coming after them and they were filled, the people were filled with fear. And God directed Moses to do something that really seems sort of preposterous. He told Moses, with the Red Sea standing in front of them and the Egyptian army coming behind them, he told Moses, raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and when you do this, the waters of the sea will part and you'll walk across on dry ground. The Israelites are, you know, between the proverbial rock and a hard place. Approaching army behind, sea in front. God says, stretch out your hand, the waters are going to part, and you'll walk across. Here's how Exodus tells us Moses responded. Chapter 14, verses 21 and 22. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. God tells Moses to respond in faith that if he will, something impossible will happen and his people will be delivered. Have you ever tried this? <laughs> Fill up your bathtub today. <laughs> Get a broomstick, broom handle. Stretch out your water or your hand over the water and just see what happens. This is impossible. Moses knew this stretching out your hand didn't part water. He, he, he knew this. But God told Moses, if you will be obedient to me, this thing that I'm telling you to do that will not part water, I will part the water. Moses believed. He obeyed. The waters parted. The Israelites went across on the dry ground. The Egyptians pursued. But at just about the moment that all the Egyptians were in between the walls of water, the Israelites had crossed on the other side. And God said, now stretch your hand out again. And Moses did. And the walls of water collapsed. Collapsed on the Egyptians. And the children of Israel were free from the bondage of Egypt. Moses had to trust God to do the impossible. He did. And God did. So in addition to rejecting privilege, we've now seen Moses accept a risky assignment from God and overcome his fear of Pharaoh. We've seen him trust God to do the impossible. 
And, and there are many other parts of the story. If you, if you read through Exodus 2 through 14, you'll just see time and time again where Moses has to exercise uh, faith. How was Moses able to obey these directives from God? How was Moses able to accept, to embrace the risk associated with God's plan for his life? At least part of the answer is found in Hebrews eleven twenty seven, which says this, By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. What happened to Moses that transformed him from the man who fled Egypt to the man who was willing to return to Egypt, confront Pharaoh, and trust God to do impossible things was this. Moses had an encounter with God. That's what transformed him. He had an encounter with God. God spoke to him. God revealed himself to Moses. And after encountering God personally, Moses was able to do by faith in the God he knew the things that God called him to do. He could do it by faith because he now knew God and he trusted God. So in Moses' life, we've seen a willingness to reject privilege for God and God's people. We've seen him uh, accept a risky assignment and overcome his fear. And we've seen him trust God to do the impossible. As I've said throughout this series, I believe that each and every one of us uh, that call Christ Lord have a specific God-given assignment. And I think that all of us together that make up Vineyard Christian Church have some specific God-given assignments. And if we are going to fulfill these God-given assignments, we have to be willing to follow the example of Men like Moses, we have to be willing to practice the kind of faith that men like Moses practiced. And there are a number of things that we're likely to need to do in order to fulfill our God-given assignments. We are going to need today, in 2013, we're going to need to be willing to reject privilege. To reject the comforts and conveniences that our lives have afforded us the comforts and conveniences that we value so much. Now, this message has several points to it today, but I titled it after this point of rejecting privilege because this is the point that I just, uh, I really felt led to to place the greatest emphasis on. Uh, All of these things are things that we need to be willing to do, but I feel that in our place and time, comfort and convenience are a really big deal to us. We, we value them greatly. And so they become a really big obstacle to our doing God's will. We must be willing to reject the privileges of our lives for the will of God. If God requires us to do so, we have to. I believe that someone here uh, may be few people here today are probably called, and I've talked about this example a number of times throughout this series, are probably called to foreign missions. You're probably called to move to another country and live there long term. 
but it's a hard road to walk. Giving up a job, selling a house, the dreaded seeking financial support, living in a place where maybe you can't drink the water, or maybe they're not that friendly. If it isn't your call, it isn't your call, and that's okay. But it, if it is your call, and if you know for sure that God has spoken it to you, and if it's been confirmed through, through various means that God uses to confirm these kind of things, then as hard as it may be, you need to be willing. You have to be willing to reject the privileges, the comforts, the conveniences, and the advantages of the life that you're currently living and be obedient to God. I think that there may be a person or two here today who might feel that God has called you to do something, but you know that in order to do that, you're going to have to come under the leadership of a ministry leader, uh, uh, an elder, uh, a pastor, whatever it might be, you're going to have to come under the leadership of someone that you think you know more than. Maybe you've been a Christian longer than them. Maybe you view your spiritual life as being stronger than theirs. It could be a number of different things, but something in you does not want to submit to their leadership. You're going to need to let go of your privilege, your, your experience that you think is superior or your uh, spiritual uh, life that you think is stronger and you're going to need to humble yourself so that God can get you in the position that he's needing you in to do what he's called you to do. Our church someday, I hope, is going to plant other churches. I'm beginning to ask our elders if, if uh, they might uh, uh, sense that, that uh, there would be agreement among us about some things that I think God may have for us in the area of church planting. You know, maybe someday this church is involved in uh, planting a church in a small town somewhere. Maybe you've seen yourself living in a large urban center, but as you just heard no more information than church planting, small town, something quickened in your spirit. You thought, man, I, wow, what is that? Where'd that feeling come from? Why did that create a reaction in me? And yet, if that's what we do, even if you saw yourself living in a, how do you say, mega megalopolis. Did I say that right? It's trying to be cute. Um, someone to do that will have to leave the advantages of living in an urban center and go somewhere without the conveniences and the entertainment options. To fulfill our God-given assignments, we're going to have to be willing to look to the future for our reward to look to the future for pleasure and treasure. To be like Moses and realize that the pleasures and treasures of our Egypt 
will not count for anything the moment after we die. We'll need to be people who resist temptation. Resist the temptation of the fine-sounding arguments that the real hell we should be concerned about is hell on earth and that our focus on heaven as our reward is misguided escapism. We'll have to be willing to reject that kind of thinking. By the way, I'll just share here that many of those who criticize a strong emphasis on heaven and say that Christians who place a lot of emphasis on, on getting out of here and going to heaven are, are really just uh, trying to escape things. They, they, they say that what it does is it causes us to be lazy. God says amen. I'll take that. They say it causes us to be lazy. But friends, the biblical emphasis on living for eternity does not cause lazy people. It results in faithful people, people who are willing to live sacrificially now because they know that this is not all there is and they know that they don't have to focus on getting all they can get now. They realize that all they can get awaits them in the future. And so they're freed from pursuing all of that now. So they can live sacrificially. They can live for the benefit of God and others. To fulfill our God-given assignments, we'll also have to be willing to confront and overcome fears like Moses did when he returned to Egypt to face Pharaoh. So a question that I think I've asked a number of times in this series, what fear is holding you back from doing what God has called you to do? Here's what I want you to do. In your mind, under your breath, not not out loud, but I want you to actually say under your breath, in your mind, however you do it, say the fear. You know what the fear is. What is the fear that is holding you back from doing what God's called you to do? Just name it right now. Fear of failure, fear of embarrassment, fear of disappointment, fear of death. David uh, Platt preached one of the finest messages I've ever heard at a conference I attended this past uh, spring. It was called Divine Sovereignty, the Fuel of Death-Defying Mission. And in the message, he made the point that even in the year 2013, we need people who are willing to risk death for the cause of Christ. Because hundreds of millions of people throughout the world have not even heard the name of Jesus. They are hopelessly lost, and many of them live in places that are hostile to Christian witness. Not everyone's called to that, but if you feel called to something that requires risking your very life for Christ, will you? Someone has to. And of course, people are doing this. One of them sitting in prison in Iran right now. People are doing this. 
What about you? Will you obey the call of God even if it launches you into a death-defying mission? And to fulfill our God-given assignments, we, like Moses, need to believe that God can do the impossible. What seems impossible to you that God is calling you to believe, that God is calling you to do? So how do we do this? How do we get to the place where we're willing to follow in the steps of Moses and reject privilege and live for the future and overcome fear and believe God can do impossible things? Well, I told you at the beginning of the series that there were two themes that would come up over and over again. To live this kind of faith, we must trust God's sovereignty and we must be thoroughly convinced of God's call on our lives. We have to really believe God is in control. Not, not just that he created everything, but that he moment by moment sustains all things. We have to believe that he's in control of our own lives. And, and that was the thrust of the message that I referenced uh, by David Platt. In fact, I would recommend you go listen to that message if you wanted to go to t4g.org and pull up their 2012 conference videos. You could listen to that message. And, and we must be firmly convinced Uh, that God has called us to our assignment. But today, we want to add to these two things. We see something in our text today that, that adds to these two things, a third truth of how we can practice this kind of faith. And here it is. We need to know God personally, which we've likely already done if we were trusting His sovereignty and believing His call in our life. But here's a part that we often fail in. We need to know God personally And we need to spend time in his presence. Moses was in the presence of God. And then he was able to come out of God's presence, confront his fears, and believe for the impossible. William Barclay writes, The secret of of his faith was that Moses knew God personally. And then I love this line. He says, to every task, he came out of God's presence. He goes on and writes, when we come to our assignment straight from God's presence, no task can ever defeat us. Our failure and our fear are so often due to the fact that we try to do things alone. The secret of victorious living is to face God before we face the world. Face God. Then face whatever seems so challenging to us. You want to fulfill your God-given assignment. You want to practice faith like Moses. You want to be freed from fear so you can take God-ordained risks. Trust God's sovereignty. Believe God's call. Spend time in God's presence. If you're struggling to do what God has called you to do, spend more time in His presence. Encounter Him. And friends, you can do that right now. You can do that in the few moments that we have remaining in this service. Why don't you stand?